The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture every Tuesday, okay? I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. Welcome to You're Gonna Love Me, the podcast where we open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of anyone who has judged or been judged. Well, hopefully. I'm your host, Katie Maloney. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to an all new episode. Today, is a big day for me because I have on a person who I'm a big fan of. I've been a fan of this person for a while. You have to know her from social media. If you don't, what are you even doing? Her Instagram account is massive. It's Girl With No Job. She also has a podcast, Morning Toast. If you're not listening to that, what are you even doing? And now <laughs> she's a best-selling author. I have Claudia Austri. Hi. Hi. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the intro, like hitting all the points. New York Times. Thank you. <laughs> New York Times bestseller. Congratulations. So it's thank Girl you. With No Job. The crazy, beautiful life of an Instagram thirst monster. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful, but I love that. That title is amazing. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you wrote it during this crazy pandemic quarantine. Yeah. I mean, I like I was on tour, so I knew I couldn't start writing my book until the end of my tour and my tour ended in January. So I was like, okay, I'm not going on tour for another year. I'll spend the rest of 2020, like working on the book. And it just so happened that we were in lockdown the whole time, which worked out for me. Cause I've always like had that procrastinator type of blood. I just cannot get things done. And I actually benefited in some ways from being in lockdown because it really forced me I was on deadline. I was actually, I submitted my book early because I literally had nothing else to do besides write my book. But then I was also like in this negative ass headspace. I was, as I'm sure everyone was. So I was trying not to be so negative in my book. I'm, I'm very naturally like a negative person. Like my humor <laughs> is negative. Like I always complain. I make fun of things. And I just didn't want like that kind of like toxic mentality to translate to the book because I like to uplift, you know, I like to make people laugh. Yeah, well, I definitely laughed when I read it, it's so good. I, what I like to do typically, not all the time, I like to get a book and I'll read like half of it or a portion of it. And then I like to listen to the audiobook. So not only do I support it twice, but I also like, then I feel like I'm, you know, connecting more with the author because they're like reading it to me and it feels yeah. more intimate. Well, like I have never actually listened to an audiobook. I think maybe I listened to one audiobook for Joan Rivers that I just like wanted to hear her voice because I miss her so much. And it didn't occur to me like how big of an audio community. And it makes sense, especially since I'm a podcaster, that like people who love books would also love audiobooks. So I've actually been really surprised by how many people re uh, listen to the audiobook as opposed to, you know, the traditional book. Yeah, because for me, I love to be able to take that time like in the morning or an afternoon to be able to sit down and read. It's relaxing, but also I don't often have that much time and I can be on the go or be active and I like to be able to 
I want to be able to read books and consume them. So if I can do it in my car while I'm doing other things, I feel like I'm accomplishing something. (laughs) You know, you're multitasking. Exactly. What was your goal with this book? My goal with this book was very plain and simple. Like I just wanted to go on the record and just like say my piece. You know what I mean? Because I feel like for a while, so many things have been said about me, positive and negative. And my strategy for a while was just to kind of not address, you know, stay above it, not address, not address but it does chip away at you, you know, seeing so many like rumors being spread, true things being said, false things being said, half truths, half lies. And it does chip away at you, especially when you're in this space. So, cause for me at least, and what I really get into in the book is like my whole mentality, like my brand is like, I don't give a fuck, but I actually <laughs> give like so many fucks. Like I actually give a crippling amount of fucks. Like, and so when you're that type of person and all this, you know, stuff is being said about you, it does eat away at you. And it, and it chipped, it was chipping away at me. And so Obviously I wanted to write the book to like tell my funny stories and there's so much of that in there, but like the real meat of it for me was just to say my side, you know, put my side out there, like just so it could exist. And if anybody was ever interested in, you know, my side of my life and all the press, whatever, like here is the official telling from Claudia's mouth in the book. Yeah. And I like that. And also, I mean, I would consider you a friend, but I don't know you that well. I don't know you personally. So having the opportunity to hear more about your life, what you went through grieving your father's death, mm-hmm. your upbringing, your sisters, what, you know, from the time you were young all the way up into the present was really great. And I think something I talk about often is that we can judge someone based off of information we receive on the internet from other people, what we hear, whether it's false or accurate. But once we really get to know a person, then we can fully understand them and then judge them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And I kind of just wanted to put it all out there. Cause I'm like, okay, everyone, you know, you can speak on me, what you think about me, but like, here's who I am as a person from start to finish. Like, here's how I became the monster that I am. All the things that I value, the things I found important, my religion, my family. And after knowing all that, then feel free to judge me, but please don't judge me before you really know who I am. Because even though like I'm super transparent on the internet and I share everything, like I'm still a real person. And so there's so much there that people actually don't know. Even if you listen to the podcast every day and you followed me for years, you can only know so much about a person when you interact with them online. Yeah, I feel like, you know, in social media and in the media in general, it can be very dehumanizing. We forget that this is actually a full person. This is this is somebody with, you know, feelings. This is somebody with a history, with traumas. And we can yeah, be you know what? vicious. I, I feel like when we started having guests on our show, that like totally changed my the way I saw the world. Because I'm a huge fan. Like, you know, I've been watching Vanner Pump Rules since season one. We recap so much reality TV on our show. And so more often than not, we'll have guests come on. And you have this idea in your head of who someone should be. And I can't think of a better example than Danielle Staub from The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Like for us, for years, she's been villainized. She is this lightning rod on her show and you, you hate her when you watch the show. And when she came on the toast, it was just so, it was this moment for me that really put a lot of things into perspective. Not only was she incredibly kind and like lovely to everyone. She talked so much about her kids and then other members of Jersey who have come on, you know, behind the scenes, they were like, she's an amazing mom. And I've watched Danielle Staub since I was in high school. Like, I think that I know her and you really don't know anyone. And that was this moment that clicked for me. I was like, oh my God, like, reality TV and social media, like that is not real life. Even if it's the most real show and everyone's super transparent on Instagram, 
it's still not real life. And there's a real person behind the character. Yeah. I, I mean, I relate to that so much because I am on a reality TV show where yeah, right. I, I put a lot of my real life out there, my real friendships, my real relationship, my marriage, like a lot of very intimate moments, but it's still like, you still don't get the full human experience out there. You know, yep. it's, it's not to say that it's, you know, fake or scripted or edited. It's just, it's really hard to show the full dimension of a human. Yeah. But it's not like a natural thing to be filmed in your everyday life. So you can be yourself, but no one can really ever know the actual person. And so for me, like being a fan of so many shows and then my platform becoming big, big enough to actually meet these people, it's like this weird dynamic <laughs> and it like changes it's like so confusing for me because I'm really, I'm a fan at heart. Like before anything else, I am a big time fan of most TV shows. So the culmination in real life of meeting these people, it's very disturbing because I'm like, wait, what you're supposed to be mean? Like you're supposed to throw a drink in my face. Cause I'm programmed <laughs> to like, believe that, you know? Yeah. Is it a weird thing for you? Because you start your, you know, social media platform and you're a huge fan of pop culture. You have your finger on the literal pulse of it and dishing the tea and gossiping about it and coming up with your own, you know, theories about people of who they are. And then you over time become popular and you become one of those people. So it's how, really weird. how do you navigate that where you still want to be, you know, stay true to your content, but also now you kind of know what it's like to be on the other end. That's like actually my cross to bear in this lifetime. <laughs> like, I don't know because it's actually really confusing for me because I mean, people evolve like just period, no matter who you are, you grow up. Like I started this when I was 18, like I was not even a fully formed person. So I've had some of like my, you know, biggest growth in the last like eight years since I started this. But when you do be, go from being like a fan to someone who has fans, it's very confusing. And it's a hard line to walk, especially when you want to just talk candidly about celebrities. But then it's like, you know, I've heard people say like things about me that are so untrue. So it just makes you think so much more about what you say and how you say it empathy is a, a huge lesson that we, yes. we learned through all of this. And it's too. something that like, I used to be the type of person who I was just so like rough around the edges. And I'm like, if you had feelings, I'm like, that's lame. Like I was just so hard and I was like afraid of being vulnerable. And in the last eight years, I feel like the people I know from high school who like, I don't like talk to anymore. Like if they knew me now, they would not even recognize me. Like I'm so, I'm so different. And it's through a variety of things that like just you growing up, like makes you soften up a little bit. Like I just used to be so tough and like, and I used to think like vulnerability was a weakness. And now I'm like, no, it's strength, girl. It's strength. It totally is. But also, you know, from 18 and all through your twenties are such formidable years. Like I am absolutely not the same person I was when I was 25 or even when I was 28, you know, and that's, yeah. that is the beauty of, of life is we're meant to change and evolve we don't even identify as, as those people anymore, but. Right. But you could probably even relate to this. That is the beauty of life, but that's also the hard thing about the internet. It doesn't always allow for growth. People love to define you by your worst moments. I am sure you know what that's like. Yeah. So that's where it's like the human part and the internet part. They, they keep, and we're seeing it so much like with cancel culture, they just keep knocking into each other because we want to give people grace and we want to give them room to grow. And so many people, you know, are on the internet when they're really young and probably aren't even responsible enough to have the platform that they do. And I was one of those people. 
And I'm so not that girl anymore. Like, I don't even know that girl who was 18 who started this blog. Like, I literally hate her. Like, I do not know her. (laughs) But the internet, they just remember you for your worst things. So it's really hard to really get, you have to be so sure of yourself and you really need to be like, believe in yourself and and in your growth to not let that sidetrack you. Yeah, so you you do have a full big chapter on cancel culture. And when I was listening to it, I I was just like the whole time, like, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Because I speak a lot about cancel culture and I don't agree with it. I don't like it. Call out culture, accountability culture that I'm fully on board with, but cancel culture. I'm not, I think turning the lights out on people and stripping them of everything is completely counterproductive to what the whole cancel culture, I believe, is trying to accomplish. Right. That's like the irony here is that I think cancel culture started out as this like naive effort to right all the wrongs in the world, but they really lost their footing. And they're they're almost and now it's almost like it's so counterintuitive because more often than not, and this was the case for me, like I used to tweet the craziest fucking dumb shit ever. And it's like mortifying that they even exist. But I was tweeting that not because I was a hateful person, but because I was so ignorant. Like I had no idea what was going on in the world. I was 18, like living in this bubble, like thinking that the world revolved around me. It wasn't because I was like this closeted bigot who had these crazy views. It was just because I wanted to say crazy shit because I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know the power behind my words. So usually I'm not saying all the time because don't get me wrong. There are terrible people in the world, but with cancel culture, a lot of the time, people saying the wrong thing is not a result of them being hateful. It's a result of them being ignorant. And if that's the case, like we should be helping these people out, like showing them the way, teaching them why that was wrong, instead of just turning our backs and shunning them and making them like radioactive, like making them just like, like gross, you know, and turning our backs on them and ignoring them socially and professionally and taking away. I don't think that's an effective way of really helping someone who's made a mistake. Well, because it it also devalues education. And the thing is, you know, for us who have have been able to learn and have new thoughts than we had when we were 18, 19, 20s, you know, being able to learn and especially the way we've evolved socially from even in the early 2000s to now to strip that from the people who need it the most and need to understand, you know, their own ignorances. And is that even a word? Ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) their past, you know, I feel like that's wrong. I think trying to hold space for people and allow them to, you know, to learn and grow from their mistakes the way, the way we have not having to been called out, but been able to sit and look back. Like I've been able to look back on my own past, you know, missteps or blind spots and, you know, call myself out personally, internally. Yeah. And so if I'm able to do that with myself, I think we can hold space for people to do that with themselves. And, you know, if they're going to be repeat offenders, then they're clearly not (laughs) equipped. Agreed. But I think that like, you know, for the most part, and I've been canceled. I know plenty of people who have been canceled deservedly. So not deservedly. So there is a spectrum and obviously like all cancellations are not one size fits all. But I think for the most part, like And I used to be the type of person who was like, call out, call like on my podcast and be like, you did this. And then it's like, I was the biggest offender, you know? So it's like the irony isn't lost. And I don't know if I would, would hold the, the opinions on cancel culture that I do now, if it wasn't for the cancellation that I experienced, it was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. Like 
And I detail it in the book, like from start to finish, here's what happened. I got a phone call. Here's what happened for the next three months because it was just one thing after another. So I, I used to be that type of person, like who was just calling people out. And that's why I feel like it's so destructive because if you're one of those people, you can't, you have to be perfect. If you're going to call out other people and like call for, you know, their sponsors to their, their employers to fire them, then you have to be perfect because you're pointing the finger at other people and nobody's perfect. So that's why that's like the, the mentality we should all have. Like, let's operate with like a little bit more grace and understanding because you're not perfect either, sweetie, like sit down. That's exactly what it is. It's just, I don't know. I didn't realize there were so many perfect people in the world who have never done anything or fucked up. It's our job as humans to fuck up and learn and grow. And I understand that the people who are in the public eye, people who have these massive platforms, they do have a responsibility. And I understand that if they're going to be influencers, if they're going to, you know, work with brands that they, they, they need to mind their P's and Q's. I understand that. And people, they have, they reserve the right to have opinions and not spend their money or pay their attention to people that they don't want to support by all means. But at the end of the day, if you're going to join a mob mentality, you're holding the same amount of power as these celebrities do as well. And you need to be able to sit back and look at yourself in the mirror and say like, have I ever done this? Have I ever fucked up myself? And if you have, which you certainly have, then you should probably sit the fuck down. Yeah. And like, I was hugely canceled in 2018. It's all in the book. And I look back on that and like, I want to hate it because it was so painful and it was so embarrassing. Like I I can't even come up with enough, enough adjectives to like, tell you what it was like. Like it was horrible, but I also look back on it through this lens of being like really kind of grateful for that challenge because I might've continued on being the asshole that I was if I hadn't been like stopped dead in my tracks and called out. And I feel like I changed so much as a result of the cancellation. And I like love the person that I am now. Like I'm obviously far from perfect, but I just like, I like this version of myself so much more. So even though I want to look back on that and like hate it, I'm almost grateful for the, the lessons, not obviously I wish it didn't happen, but you know what I mean? Like I, like I try to look at it through this lens of being like, okay, you know what? We wouldn't have gotten here without that. And you can't get from point A without from point A to point B without all the challenges along the way. And that was a really, really big one for me. And now I'm just like the face of cancel culture. Like anytime anyone has like a podcast, they want to talk about cancel culture on like, Hey, let's call Claudia. (laughs) I mean, if it it does follow you, what do you say to people who say they only apologize because they got caught or because they got called out? Well, that might be the case for some people, you know, I don't, I can't speak on anyone else's. I don't know why someone does something for whatever reason, but for me, my apology was really rooted in the fact that like, I wake up every day with literally one goal. And that's just to like, make people laugh. Everything I do is comedy, 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 funny, 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 positive, positive, positive. So when I became like a, a person who was perceived as hateful and negative, like that was the antithesis of everything that I do. And the fact that like, you could go to my platform, which usually brings you joy and find all these hateful things that upset me. And, and, and the, the notion of somebody just like, engaging with my content and leaving feeling upset or offended, like that killed me because that's the opposite of what I do. So that was the motivation for me on the reason why I apologize. And it it never even occurred to me not to apologize. And I think when people do that, it's a huge mistake and it's a huge fuck you to your fans. But for me, that was the reason. I don't know why other people apologize. I'm sure there are people who have apologized genuinely, people who have apologized because they only got caught. For me, it was all about 
people hurting people. That's, that's literally, I'm not a, like, that's never what I want to do. Like I was put on this earth to make people laugh. Like I know that for a fact. So I'm making people cry now. Like that's the opposite of what I want to do. I know. It's like a no win situation sometimes because you, you have these, you know, tweets resurface that are horrible and shameful and not indicative of who you are today that you probably don't even remember doing. And now you have to be responsible for this person that you don't identify with anymore. hundred percent. And you know, you're, you know, big enough, mature enough to do that. But then, you know, some people still are just like, nope, not good enough. And you're only doing it because, you know, we're, you know, you're going to lose your sponsors. You're going to lose money. And that's why you're doing it. And it's like, if, if people are unwilling to forgive and it's not always everyone's place to forgive, I understand that. But if that's the way they're going to feel, then I know it's tough because like, for me, like I have a lot of trauma for my cancellation. Like I, I, I've learned that in like the last year or two, like it was this traumatic moment for me. And I feel like a lot of people who don't exist in the public space, like everyone is, you know, an asshole when they're a teenager and they grow up and they regret things that they've done. It's just a part of like the natural life cycle. You, you grow and you evolve past your former self, but it's very traumatizing to wake up most days and be confronted by the person that you used to be. And it's like, I don't even know this bitch anymore. Like I am Mariah Carey. I do not know her. And like, even (laughs) like literally what you said is so on point. Like when those tweets, like people were like sending them to me, I'm like, those are fake. Like I never fucking said that. Like I have no memory. uh, I have no memory of sending those tweets and I have no memory of even holding those opinions. Like, so I really thought that they were like fake screenshots until like a bunch of places wrote it up. And I'm like, oh no, no, these are fucking real. I said that shit. And so it was so weird for me to like disassociate, like from my subconscious, it was very confusing. And so it was weird to apologize for, for something that I felt like I didn't do. It was like literally a different form of me, you know? I'm trying to think of how I would feel to be judged and criticized and canceled for the person I was when I was a teenager. Like what the fuck? I'm not that person anymore. No, I know. And so like, that's like the, the pendulum swings both ways. Like it has been such a privilege to grow up in this space. Like I've had amazing opportunities because of it, but I'd be remiss not to mention like the, the disadvantages that come along with growing up in the public space, because I'm doing just that I'm growing up, I'm trying to evolve. And I find it that there are some people who just don't want that for me, but I will not let them get in the way of my evolution. Yeah. I mean, you do talk about when you're talking about that, you're talking about the the people who, you know, once are fans, but then want to dance and rejoice when you're losing everything you have and being stripped of everything that you've worked towards because, you know, they want to see you suffer. Yeah. It's kind of like a fan culture is, and I tried to deep like dive into it in the book as much as I can. It's fickle and it's, it could be very toxic because, and I've spoken to a lot of creators in this space who completely have been going through like the same thing where it's like your biggest fan in a matter of hours can become your biggest detractor. It's a crazy cycle where, you know, they find, you know, your Instagram, well, they like you and then they love you and then they are obsessed with you. And then they feel like they own you. And the second that you do something that they don't agree with that love that they have for you, boom, hate, they have as much hate for you as they did love. And they make it their mission every day to wake up and try and destroy you. And it's so bizarre, but it's like this huge, it actually like makes a lot of sense, but it's just like a crazy concept that like 
so many people who like literally despise me, who like start Facebook groups and Reddit threads about like, you know, doxing the shit out of me. Like they've seen me on tour multiple times. Like they, at one point were my biggest supporters. So it's very confusing. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's the same thing of the people, the trolls that'll call names and be just so hateful and mean are the same people. If you met them in person, they'd probably come up and ask you for a picture. It's And they have a Bible bizarre. verse in their fucking bio <laughs> on Instagram. Always. always, always. And it's like, like what would Jesus think of this? <laughs> Boy, mom. And then the oh, Bible yeah. verse. and Hearts. And then like a little pin drop of where their location is like San Diego, California. <laughs> and it's always like spread, spread love and joy. Yeah. Right. Do unto others. <laughs> it's crazy to me. It's twisted. I love that you even brought up Jamila Jamil because she's such a great example of somebody who, you know, does kind of call out cancel culture of being toxic and counterproductive. And she said that it's vital that we separate ignorance from evil. No, she's literally that. like my hero. I met her. I like, I was a little drunk. And I like got so <laughs> teary eyed because like, I just, first of all, I love what she does in like the body image space. Like she gives me so much confidence. And when she speaks on cancel culture, like she literally is speaking to me. And so I saw her in the lobby at Soho house and I like freaked the fuck out. And she also follows me on Instagram. So like, we are like Instagram friends. And oh. I, I like literally, I have a picture. I was like literally so drunk. I was like day drinking and I was just like literally <laughs> crying in the Soho house lobby. I was like, I love you so much. Like you are my queen. Like keep doing what you're doing. I support you so much. And she was super nice. Oh, that makes me happy. I love her. Her perspective on everything is so fresh and so accurate. And I know she gets a lot of pushback from that as well. And I do, I know I do as well when I talk about it because everyone thinks that you can't be woke and also be against cancel culture. Like, the, like guess what? Two things can be true at the same time. So I completely agree with that sentiment. And I think that's a really like, like false and like dangerous way of thinking. Like, I just don't agree with that at all. Like you can be aware of the world around you, but also want to give people grace. I, and I really believe that. Yes, 100%. So you brought up something else just now that you also talk about in your book, which is also something near and dear to me, which is, you know, body image yes. and a healthy body image and something that I've struggled with publicly for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you do such a good job of, of laughing at yourself about it, but it's also something that is really sensitive. Of you. course. And you know, everything I joke about is always rooted in my insecurities. Like, and, and that's just like comedy 101, but it's been this like long fucking journey for me. I've always struggled with my weight and I don't know, it's kind of like this universal thing and it should be spoken about more because whether you're overweight, underweight, you, whatever, you don't like the way that you look. I think everyone in the world can relate to the feeling of just not being happy with yourself, whatever, you know, your critique of your body is. So I don't know. I think it's something that should really be spoken about like way more because there's this kind of corny thing that it's like, accept your flaws, accept your flaws, accept your flaws. And I try, I really do. But sometimes I just can't. I think it's great to be able to accept yourself, your body, your flaws, any state, but I think it's perfectly okay to also want to improve in places because, you know, if that's where you're going to find the confidence to walk out the door to get dressed in the morning, then do what's going to make you happy, but make sure it's coming from within and not from out. And, it, and then yes. that's really hard because in the age of social media and it's, it's so toxic with the, you know, everyone's obsessed with like skinny cultural youthfulness, everything like that. It, you do 
wake up and you want to apply that same kind of pressure to yourself. Yeah, no, but that's a really good point. Like it is so important. Like if you want to get a fucking facelift, like live your life. Like I'm never the type of person to judge. I just really feel like if you're going to do it, like make sure you can identify the reasons why you're doing it. And for me, like I'm very pro pro plastic surgery. I've had like a few things ton. Um, (laughs) and I've always done it because I was so sure of myself, like that I'm doing this for me. Like I have a husband who absolutely adores me any weight, any size, any mood, any hair, any, anything. And it's not about you. Like love you, but it ain't about you. Like this is about me. Like I I have so many flaws. Like I can only accept so many of them. (laughs) It's it's a job. It's a job. It is full time. Yeah. So you you do actually have a job. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think, I think that's a lot of what people hinge happiness on. And they think like, if I could only lose 10 pounds or if only like I, my nose or my lips or something like that. And I think they need to stop and think like, okay, is this going to make me happy or am I just going to try to do this for validation from other people? If you're seeking out validation out from outside of yourself, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. And I used to be one of those people, like until I was really like sure of myself and like confident in my body, I used to be like, okay, my life will start once I lose this weight. Like once I lose the weight, my life will start. Once I lose the weight, I could do this once. And it's like, bitch, you're never losing the weight. So just like live your life and go free, like be, be yourself. And then you're missing out on things. You're missing out on life. Cause I think back to times when I was like younger and I thought I was, you know, not fat, but I was just like, oh, like I would look at little things on my body and be like, if I could, you know, and now I look back, I'm like, bitch, like, oh, why didn't you stunning. appreciate that? Stunning. No. That, but that is life. Like that's life. And that's literally what I said in the book. Cause I'm like, I, my whole life thought I was like the fat friend in high school. And I look back at pictures of me from high school. I'm like, girl, I am so cute. Like I'm everything of the sort. Like why did, why did I have no confidence? Why was I so insecure? And now I feel like I'm like this fat, disgusting piece of shit. And I can only imagine like in 10 years, I'll look back at pictures of me now and be like, oh my God, girl, like you were gorgeous. Go live your life. So I try and just like always keep that in mind. You know, it's like, of course, I think the worst of me. But when I go to a party, like no one's even looking at you. Just like go have a drink and dance. Like nobody cares that your skirt is like a little uneven. Like just go, nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. And I think being kinder to yourself and the way you speak to yourself is like, that's the biggest thing I've worked on and had to learn is that, I get enough negativity from people on social media and horrible things that people say. Like, I can't also pile on with that as well. That's such a good point. I was a little, not surprised, but it kind of like made me feel a little sad to to learn how you felt about things. Because to me, you just like exude confidence. No, I know. And people like are always like, oh my God, you're so confident. How? I'm like, well, why not? Like, what's the how? Like, I'm stunning. Of course I'm confident. But- it's important to remember, like for, at least for me, and I'm not saying that this is for everyone, like I made a conscious choice years and years ago to be a confident person. So it's not really like this natural confidence that like, I really think I'm like so great and everything. I just, I just want to be confident. So I, therefore I am, if that makes sense. So it's just like a manifestation. I mean, like what, so what would your advice or practices be to people, you know, especially in the age of social media who are struggling with body image? Here are the two things. One, actually, there's a few things because for me, a huge source of my like actual confidence comes from being in just like a really healthy relationship. Like Ben is always lifting me up, like has literally thought I'm so beautiful, stunning and every like at any time, any weight, anything. And in my eyes, Ben is like such like a catch. Like who wouldn't want to marry Ben? He's like hilarious. He's handsome. He's tall. And Ben chose me. So I must be like, 
the Meghan Markle. Like I must be amazing (laughs) because Ben chose me. So I think, and not saying that you should get your confidence from a man. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying it really helps to be in a healthy relationship. And I think a lot of people who have been in unhealthy relationships before can see like how it chips away at you, your self-confidence, your self-worth, it's all connected. So that's not going to solve your problems, but it does help. That's just one thing. Mm -hmm. Two, it also does help to like, I'm like started like doing manifestations. Like I look at myself in the mirror and I started doing them when I was on tour because I would get like so painfully nervous before a show. And then I would just be in my dressing room, like look in my mirror and I'm like, you're fucking literally so gorgeous. You are the most snatch bitch in this place. Like everyone literally paid money to see you. Like what the fuck are you nervous about? Like you have to talk to yourself. Like I've started talking to myself in the last year and I look a little crazy like when I walk on the street and I talk, but nobody cares. (laughs) And the third thing is like, and this might be not be a popular thing to say, but if there is something that you don't like about yourself, that's really, really, really bothering you. And you've tried to accept and manifest, go see the doctor. Like I am so pro you have a problem. Go fix it. Like I'm so confident in my weight. Like I really am. But for a while, like I had this really, really terrible double chin. Like that would not go away. Like I'd look at pictures of myself. I'd be like, Oh my God, my fit is amazing. My outfit, but this motherfucking chin like does not go away. (laughs) And so I went to the doctor's office and I said, what can I do? And she did me a little something and I love it. Like I never turned back and I did it because of me, because it bothered me. And because it was just one of these things I couldn't accept, but all these Hallmark cards are like, accept your flaws, learn to love yourself. Uh, and I yeah. do, but I can't do all of my flaws. So I'm, I pick and choose. You know, I applaud you for that. And I think I think it's people get caught up in the whole like, well, if, if I'm body, you know, positivity or body confidence or um, body neutrality, then I I can't want to change or fix things or I have to just, and I don't think that you have to do what's best for you. Like there's no rules about being body neutral. Therefore you can't, it's not a math equation. Just live <laughs> your life. Like do what you want to do. Be happy. Like I want to take care of myself. So I live a long, healthy life. So I don't, you know, end up with any kind of disease or illness. <laughs> so if I, if that means I got to lose some weight, then I'm going to lose some weight, but not because I'm trying to fit into some mold standard standard that's unrealistic for you know my body type or for my age like I have to just do like be the best version of myself and not be unhealthy or live an unhealthy lifestyle agreed because I because everyone I talk to that we talk when we talk about weight and they're just saying like when I was at my skinniest that was my most unhappy uh always always not saying skinny people are unhappy perpetually, but I have heard that too, because it's not most of the time, like when I've spoken to people, it's like, you're not getting into shape for the right reason. You know, it's like, do you want to be more active? Do you want to feel better? Those are all great reasons to lose weight. But if you're doing it for someone else or for the wrong reasons, or just to think it's going to solve all your problems, it almost never does. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just too much pressure to put on yourself. Like I, you know, last year I lost some weight and I was like feeling really good and people noticed and people wanted to talk to me about it constantly. And it it made me feel weird. And it was like, as much as I knew that it was a compliment and everything, it kind of made me feel icky. Cause I'm just like, well, was it so bad before? No. And it's like, why, why am I not worth talking to 10 pounds ago? Exactly. And I just feel like, okay, well, now what are you going to talk to me? What if I gain the weight back? Like, where's my worth then? And you you even said like, you know, skinny people like literally don't have to try. And like when you- They don't. 
we live in a skinny, obsessed fucking world. Like I, I know in my career, in my life, like if I weighed like nothing, things would just be easier for me. And that might not be a popular PC thing to say, but it is true. We live in a world obsessed with skinny people. And this is also going to be something that is maybe going to be a little controversial because there's obviously spectrums to weight. And, you know, there are a lot of people who like to equate, like, you can't tell someone to eat a cheeseburger because you think they're too skinny. Like, that's fucking mean. No, yeah. But, it's, but, and maybe I'm biased, I don't think it's as mean as being told you're too fat because we live in a world that is so obsessed with being skinny. So you're telling someone they're too skinny and skinny equals good. You're too good. And of course it's hurtful and I'm not trying to, you know, degrade or doubt the pain. I'm just saying like in a world so obsessed with being skinny, like you don't know what it's like to have someone like call you fat to your face or behind your back or hear someone call you. You'll never forget where you are the first time you hear someone like behind your back call you fat. Like it is so fucking crushing. And especially when you're young and especially when you're a woman, like it just fucking breaks you. It does. And you just feel like, especially for me being on television and then, you know, having to go to events and just not feeling super confident in my skin, knowing that people were talking about how much weight I've gained and knowing what people were calling me. Like it was really challenging to, to muster up the kind of confidence to, you know, find something to wear and want to pose for pictures. I just wanted to like hide. I wanted to There's hide. so much trauma in finding something to wear and p- taking pictures. Like it's, and I know, I know it's my job and it's your job too. And it's yeah. traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like some people I'm like, you could just wear whatever you want and just walk out of the house where I like have to like think about, does this look good on me? And I'm just like, Oh, I And I hate when I even get into that headspace and I'm just like, get out of it, get out of it, get out of it. It's so toxic. Like just put on something to wear and go have fun at the party. Yeah. And that's why I just like people want to hate on my style or hate on the things I wear. And I'm like, I just like, I wear what I like to wear. Sometimes I like to wear like oversized baggy clothing because I just like the way it looks. I need like to the breathe. Way it it's hot outside. <laughs> yeah. I just like, how about I just like it? How about I'm not trying to? Right. Yeah. I just wish everyone could walk a mile in, in the shoes and, and really fully understand. I think that's really well said. Yeah. I really want everyone to go get your book. I love, I Me feel too. like, I feel like you mentioned Vanderpump Rules almost as much as you mentioned your family, which basically means we're family. I did mention <laughs> Vanderpump Rules like 1000 times. I told you I, I'm like a true OG fan. It made me so happy. I was just like, oh my God, like just what I was sitting there listening to and you're like Vanderpump Rules. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I you mean, know what? It's hard for you because you're in it, but I don't know if you really know like the cultural impact of Vanderpump Rules, like especially on people my age. You know, I think about that so many times. I'm like, if I wasn't on the show, what would I think or how would I view it? Would you watch it? Right. Would I, I mean, I probably would watch it. I was thinking about that. I was talking to Daniel Franzese and I was just like, you are part of something so like pop culture, like phenomenon, you know, like mean girls. Like, can you, are you able to appreciate it as much as everyone else? Or is it, you know, you're too close to it, but mean girls literally like raised me. I saw it my senior year, right before I graduated. And it was just very like, yep. That that's yep. high school politics. That's like, I mm-hmm. mean, it was very sensationalized, obviously, but you know, and I just, I, I laughed along, um, while I was listening and reading your book, because you do like hit on so many, like great things of talking about the in sync versus backstreet boy <laughs> culture of just like you can't be that's what it was you can't be nick like, carter and jt you gotta pick 
And no. <laughs> which one are you? I never you're really Jonas decided. Brothers. You're just Jonas Brothers. I, I was, yeah, I never really decided. I'm like, okay, you old hags can have sync and Backstreet Boys. Like I'm fucking <laughs> with the Jonas Brothers. I appreciate the Jonas Brothers, but I was very much grown out of like- Yes. That at that age. Um, so- and Jonas Brothers ended up coming back like bigger and better when now you're, you can appreciate them because we're like all the same age. Yeah. And I, but you know what? Now I appreciate, you know, Harry Styles and One Direction though. Oh I my do. God. I live for One Direction. I know. Your book is so relatable. You are so relatable. You are so vulnerable and candid in it. And I appreciate that and love it. And I know once people read it, they'll, they'll love you. Oh my God. Well, I love you. Thank you so much for, thank you so much for actually reading the book. Like I could tell, I do. I've done so many like interviews for my podcast and I could just know that people didn't read it, which no, respect, I feel that, but I appreciate you actually reading it. No, I really wanted to read it and I'm really happy I did. It was, it's not a crazy long book. You could do it in a day or two, even over a week. Yeah, weekend. I like it's, short books. I read two like really short books yesterday and I just love being able to like finish. 100%. Everyone go get a copy of it. It's Girl With No Job. The, what is it? The Crazy Beautiful Life of an Instagram Thirst Monster. Listen to The Morning Toast. Oh, we got to finish with the the rage text of the day. So uh, I don't know if you know, there's an ice cream. Pl- and I just need to give you some backstory. There's an ice cream chain here in the city called Tasty Delight. It's the best ice cream. And so I always get like a couple like little scoops with topping and I leave them in my freezer for like a late night snack. And they're for me. They're for me. But I know my husband will occasionally take one, but it's fine because I buy a bunch. I bought four. Three were gone. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Then last night I go to get the fourth gone. So I knew Ben ate it because nobody else lives here. And I said, did you eat the last tasty? He said, (laughs) yes, I'm sorry. I said, all caps, you suck. (laughs) He just writes, I'm sorry. And that was the end of the conversation. But I was fucking raging. That's that's a pretty mild one. I am more of like a rage FaceTimer. I, I have so many feelings. I cannot text. Like, I'm like, it's, I can't move fast enough for all my feelings. So I'll just fucking call you. Oh, wow. That's I'm scary. <laughs> that's scary. No, but I, I truly hate that too. Because sometimes I would say 80% of the time I don't eat like leftovers. But sometimes I do. And there'll be times I'm like, I'm like literally thinking about it all day long. And I come home and I'm ready to like go in on the leftovers and it's gone. Oh, and I'm like, there's nothing more hurtful than that. And I'm hangry. And I like, will just like go in on Tom and he's like, but you, and he's right. Katie comes out (laughs) sober tequila, Katie. He's right. He's like, but you like, you never eat leftovers. And I'm like, but this time it's like always like the one time or not the one time, but I'm like, you just got to ask me. But that's honestly like marriage, like really being mad that your partner didn't read your mind. <laughs> I know. Like you should have, you should have known that I was that coming I was going to eat this particular one. Right now. Exactly. Yeah. But no, he's really good about asking me now, like, hey, are you going to, yeah, he's, he learns very quickly. Okay, that's is, good. Which I love on most things. Most. Not always on the big important things, but you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. It takes time. Marriage is a job. Well, Claudia, thank you so much. I love you. Thank you so much for having me. Seriously, everyone go get the book. And then um, on social media, you all should know, but it's Girl With No Job, Cloud With No Job. Follow Ben at Boy With No Job. Oh, yes, Listen, girl, get them all. The Morning Toast. What else? 
My what job, pups with no job. <laughs> oh, pup with no job. We got so many. So many. All right. Well, until next time, everyone, be kind to yourselves. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Follow along on social at Music Kills Kate and tune in next week for an all new episode. 